Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. There's going to be a, a lot of what we just sung, all three songs really, um, in our message this morning. So a, a great time to be here at North Shore with us. Um, if you have Bibles, uh, go ahead and open those to First Peter. That's where we're going to be today. And when the, when the team comes back through in a couple minutes, if you need a Bible to follow along, just put your hand up. Uh, they'll get you one of those. But before we start... Uh, two of our most fearless leaders are off to Australia for a few weeks. Uh, Scott and Sandy finally got to travel um, to go see their daughter, whom they haven't seen since uh, the, uh, the pandemic began, and then their new granddaughter. Uh, so we're super excited for them. They were able to power through Christmas and then get over there. And before they left, uh, we set up this series, and Scott had this incredible plan and asked some amazing people to come and speak the first week that he was gone. And they all said no, so here I am. Um, I'm Tyler. I'm your student ministry pastor here at North Shore. We're kicking off this series called New. As just a three-week mini-series, it's going to be out of First Peter, largely a, a couple of places in particular, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And th- this is going to not just tie into the new year, um, but there's a tie in there. And I was curious this morning, how many of you, let's, let's be honest and brave, how many of you have ever like actually kept a New Year's resolution for a whole year. Do we have, we have a, a couple of well-disciplined people in the room this morning. So a couple of you. That's really hard. But we do this New Year's resolution thing, and, and I was looking into the history of that. Um, and, and like everything that we have, a tradition started a long time ago, and one of the best guesses by historians is New Year's resolutions kind of became an official thing with the Babylonians, with the Babylon people about 4,000 years ago. And it was actually promises uh, during the New Year festival that people would make to their gods. They would make dedications and promises that I'm going to live better this year. I'm going to offer this much or whatever. And so it was very much this uh, humanity to God type declaration, this resolution to be different or new. But our new series, for a few weeks, we're going to consider the reverse of that. These are some promises and realities that God makes happen in us. So not something that I vow to do better for God, but we're going to look at what new thing does God do in you and in me? What does God transform? Uh, So let me read to kick us off. This is the intro to the book of First Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. And we are, uh, we gave our people some time off this week, so the notes are minimal, the slides are minimal. Have fun with us. Here we go. Uh, I think we do have one for this, though. But First Peter, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the dead, or from the dead. Um, so, so that idea right there, born again or new birth. So our shared assumption over the next three weeks is that if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, something changes. Something is different about you. Something has become new because of what Scripture says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there's a couple of different kinds of new ways that we use and understand new. Um, there's, there's new as in never seen before. Like two years ago when schools across the country shut down and we all went, huh, that, I've never seen that before. That was a new thing that happened. Um, or uh, one of my personal favorites was a few years ago when Randy Johnson was pitching, I think no longer for the Mariners at this point, but he threw a 99-mile-an-hour fastball and a bird flew across at the same time. If you've seen that clip, all of a sudden in slow-mo there was a bird and then there was no bird. Uh, and that was, that was new for me and I think a lot of people. We had never seen on-camera disintegration of uh, that magnitude. But then there's new as in something that already exists, but it maybe now it's new to you, a, a new possession or a new experience. This is true whether you got something at Christmas uh, or whether you change maybe your hair or as you grow and change. Now, someone might say you have a new strength or a new characteristic or, or a new attitude, right? It is who you are, but it has taken on a new identity and it has truly become something different. That's what we're talking about with this series. And so here is our key verse for the next three weeks. First Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. And just hear even a lot of this language in a couple of the songs that we just sung. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I'm going to look in particular, as we go through this, we're going to uh, highlight a couple of different phrases from these verses over the next three weeks. And I'm going to look in particular at a people for God's own possession. And then it's restated in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So if you want to maybe underline or circle those phrases in your notes, uh, now boom, you've got to fill in the blank, already done. So that's pretty cool there. Um, here's the word of scripture for us this morning. God declares that faith in Jesus, right, becoming a Christian, being born again, um, transfers you from not a people to now the people of God. That's the declaration that God makes for us. So what in the world does that mean? And I think simply we're just gonna unpack both of those ideas. What is not a people 
And then on the other side of it, what does it mean to be uh, people of, of God's choosing, of his special possession, the people of God? So idea one, at one time you were not a people. You did not belong to a people group. You were not part of an identified people group. Let's be, you guys did great the first time. Let's be brave again for another moment. There are uh, over 7 billion people on earth. There are 7.6 million people in the state of Washington. There are 800,000 people in Snohomish County. And uh, several dozen of you in this room and more online, we have access to Zoom, FaceTime, social media, all of those things. Who has ever felt lonely? Anybody? All these people that we're surrounded with, and yet to feel lonely seems like almost a necessary part of humanity. It is something that we've all experienced. There are access to almost all of these people in some way, whether it's in this room or at this church or at your workplace or family across the city and state and country. If you have felt lonely, it's not because you, you have no access to anybody else. It's something else. It is possible to be surrounded by people and feel lonely. It's possible to be in a room uh, full of laughter and feel emptiness. It's, po it's possible to be part of a large club or group and feel left out. And in fact, in my experience, those are the times when loneliness is most felt. See, in the first chapter of the Bible, when God said, it is not good for man to be alone, and then he made a helper suitable for him. And then God told those two people, that man and that woman, he told them to increase in number and to fill the earth. Fill it with what? Not enemies. While God designed humanity to make the world flourish with more of itself, to, to use other humans in a God-designed way to make this world a better place for each other, for God's glory, for the world. While God designed humanity to do that, the devil wants to use humanity to make chaos, to drive people apart, to create feelings of isolation and separation at the lack of that deep desire we all have for connection. And it is that very powerful feeling that we have, that hardwiring within us to be connected to other humans, that longing for, for friendship. It, it, it can be that very feeling that compels us to do some kind of crazy things. It's that feeling that um, causes us to say really hurtful things to someone at the hope will gain favor from someone else. It's what compels us to spend money recklessly. Uh, the things we'll post online because it gets us that little hit of a notification. The things we'll put into our bodies to avoid dealing with those feelings. It's a, it's a really deeply ingrained 
problem. And it exists because though every human is healthier as part of a people, every human is also stricken, unavoidably affected by sin, which if not dealt with, keeps people away. Uh, in, in processing this passage this week, God pointed me to an idea um, as we're talking about a people and coming together. I was curious about a word that maybe means the opposite. And so I was drawn to the idea of scattered, scattering. And I learned just this week that your ESV Bible that we use here at North Shore uses the word scattered 117 times, which is a lot for a really specific, powerful word. 117 times is scattered in your Bible. And it is very frequently in the context of those who are enemies of God being scattered from him and from each other. Distanced. Just a couple of examples. I don't want to read very many. But First uh, Kings I saw all Israel scattered on the mountain as a sheep that have no shepherd. Psalm 68, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. But I noticed too, it, it also actually can be a little bit of a punishment, or at the very least, the, the side effects of sin. So a while back, we covered the book of Nehemiah. So we've actually read this verse here in North Shore. Probably went right past you. But in the very first chapter of Nehemiah, uh, prophet says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. So that's even something that God does. If there was sin, Israel was scattered. That's one of the key uh, patterns of the entire Old Testament. They were very frequently no longer a people because sin drove them away from God and God allowed their sin to let them be driven away from other people. This idea of scattering is all over our scriptures. I mean, here's... One of my favorite verses in the Bible from Colossians 1 to kind of tie this together. Colossians 1 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. So it's sin that scatters us, both from God and from others. It's the thing that holds a wedge between relationships. Just a little bit of a separation. You can come this close or no further. This many people can come but no more. Whatever that looks like, it is the result and effects of sin that cause us, instead of being reconciled, to be alienated, enemies. It is sinful selfishness that thinks the world is me versus them or says you're not welcome here. And I love what our passage begins with. Verse 9, but you. 
What we've been looking at before is the first half of that, a life apart from God, whether that's before you knew Christ or as we all are prone to do when you step back into those lifestyles and patterns of your life before Christ, that's the scattering. That's not a people. That's before. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is the new reality. Where sin once separated, grace now connects. Isn't it nice to belong? You know those, those places where you don't have to think quite as much you don't have to be on guard. You don't have to process things or you don't have to feel anxiety on the way in. Those places where you just belong, those are special places, special times, special feelings. And so as God says that about us, and we're going to continue to unpack that, but I was drawn to the question of why why do we belong? Why did God do this for us? Why make us a people? And he says very, very clearly in another part of the Bible why God does this. It's one of the summaries of the gospel story. Really early in your Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy is God's talking to Moses and they're looking at the promised land. You've got a bunch of scattered Israelites. They're starting to head towards what will become Israel, but they're not there yet. They're in the process of being gathered. And God says to Moses, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Here's some of the same verses. First Peter, Peter as he writes this, is thinking of this passage as he writes verses nine and 10. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And then Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. That's it. That's the why for all these incredible promises and realities that are laid out for us in our passage. There, the gospel doesn't add more to that idea. You didn't do anything first to become one of God's treasured possessions. He did it because he loved you. God is a gatherer. God makes ways for relationships to take on something a little extra, to take on something special, to take on really their fullness and what they're intended to be, to have a special kind of completeness through his spirit. And it might still be hard. A lot of times it is still hard but it is God who makes that possible to be connected instead of scattered. So when we say you were not a people, but now you are a people, this is not just a nice option or an idea worth thinking about or a new choice offered to you. This is the new reality. You are now 
If you believe in Jesus and and these things have spoken to your soul and you've responded, you are now a Christian of Christ. It's like when you take on a new job, you become part of that company, one of them. When you go to school, you are a whatever that mascot is. I was a wolf, and then later I was a pirate. Very, go get him. When you become engaged or married, you become like a plural, but also one, because that's what the Bible says. But, you know, I don't get to just say yes. I say, let me ask my wife. Um, If any of your relatives are still living, you are a family. There's a plurality there. There's a connectedness, one of many, which is why when we live in those things, if there is something big that affects your work, you feel it within you. If there is tension in your marriage, you feel that within you. If there is a success in your family, you, you feel that within you. You get to celebrate with them or you get to struggle with whoever or you, if you we're connected. Not a people to now a people. And so as Peter is writing this to the followers of Jesus Christ, um, think about how a modern church works. Think about North Shore. There are a dozen different things that we do in the life of North Shore, several dozen. There's a lot of activity happening in this church. But the easiest front door to to get to North Shore to the very first time, the easiest front door is this. We have a building, we have a time where there is a service, and then we have some nice chairs that you're allowed to sit in. And so maybe you were online or uh, driving around or heard from a friend or whatever. You heard where North Shore is and you heard 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. And then you got to come here. So my question would be, how many of you knew like more than five people the very first time you came to North Shore? Did anybody already know most of the church? One, two, three. A couple of you already knew a good chunk of people here at North Shore. But in my experience, most people, when you come to this church, when you go to a church for the very first time, that's not true of you. Maybe you know one or two, the person who invited you, or you're literally just online. We've had so many of that the last couple of years. And you walk through this door knowing zero people. Maybe one, maybe somebody who used to go to that church. I don't know what it is, but the point is this. A bunch of potential strangers now have a place that they call home. Why? Because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That is the strongest, most powerful, most important thing that has connected us here at North Shore. You could be somewhere else on a Sunday morning, but instead you have made it a value to be part of a service that worships Jesus Christ with other people. You've done it here because essentially at the end of the day, Jesus Christ died and rose again. That's why we're here together. For some in this room, that might literally be the only thing you have in common with somebody else. Is you share in the grace of Jesus Christ. There are people at North Shore that I wouldn't have rubbed shoulders with 
if not for being here and the grace of Jesus Christ that brought me here and them. Now we do life together. Jesus has done this since always. The beginning of the Gospels, when Jesus starts calling his disciples, most of them fit into what I just described. Some of them had a brother. Some of them knew one other person. But Jesus was walking around calling people to follow him in ones and in twos, and they did not generally know each other. So think of those conversations as these guys are all getting around Jesus who's making a stir and they're meeting each other for the first time, some of them. Hey, who are you? I'm Bartholomew. What is a Bartholomew? I don't know, but I'm following that guy. Hey, me too. Eleven other times, these guys met each other, drawn together exclusively because of Jesus Christ. And then he said, you're now mine and you're also gonna put up with each other, deal with it. It is of Christ to be one who gathers. It is to be like God, to be a gatherer. The message of 1 Peter 2, 9 is the message of Colossians 1 that we read earlier that enemies and strangers become reconciled. Why? Because of mercy. Because of Jesus. And so to kind of bring this for our lives for a moment, um, the first the first thing for us to respond to here, I think, is to simply to, to step into that, to help gather. Somebody gathered you, and we've all got different stories. Somebody either told you about Jesus or this church. Somebody gathered you. Help gather. And I think my challenge would be, don't be content with one to two relationships at this church and then a bunch of just scattered people in the same building. Don't be content with that, people of God. Help gather. In, in my experience, um, I've worked at three different churches and I'm a pastor's kid, so I've been deeply involved in like nine. And just doing this kind of stuff, being around people, what, what my wife and I have discovered over the years is a lot of really awesome people waiting for someone to gather them. And sometimes we just wait a little too much and a little too long. Who's gonna do the gathering? I would love to be part of something. Maybe that needs to be you. It is, it is of Christ to say, hey, let's follow Jesus together. Let's get around some other people. Let's make this circle a little bit bigger. So there's one potential challenge for us this morning. The second is right here in the text for us. It's very clear. The end of verse nine. So there are four identities for us, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That you may proclaim. We had snow last week. We had a lot of snow. We had too much snow. 
What happens next is ingrained into us. I think it's a necessary component of being a human. Can't get around it. Uh, What is the first thing you do when you see snow? You tell somebody. It happens. I don't know why. Oh, snow! And then you go find somebody. Say, look outside. Did you see it? No, the whole sky changed and white stuff is falling from the... I missed it, right? But I'm at home. Oh, I got to go get my two-year-old. Emery, look, snow, right? Or you're online. Pictures, look, it's snowing in my house. We just tell people. We are people good at proclaiming things. It's what we do. We like it. It's part of us. But before you assume understanding of what we're to proclaim, let's read it again. Okay, another look at this. That you may proclaim what? The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That you may proclaim the excellencies of who? The God who calls you out of darkness and into light. Now notice, they're not called out of Rome. They're called out of darkness. They're not called into a tradition or enlightenment or a safe space, into God's marvelous light. In fact, God's purpose in redeeming us is not primarily for your enjoyment, but for his glory. That we would glorify him. That's why it says, that you may proclaim. This is one of the greatest reversals of the gospel. The point of Christ's salvation is that you would stop worshiping yourself. And turn it around and worship God. Seeking our own eternal well-being will never be completely satisfying. The answer to our search for ultimate meaning lies in declaring the excellencies of God because only God is worthy of glory. Only God is a healthy place for you to put your worship. Only God is the right highest priority for your life. Only God is worthy for you to put your ultimate allegiance To declare those excellencies then is to speak of all that God is and has done. And I would bet, I would bet easily this morning um, that some of you, or that, that God has gifted you to be stronger in one of those ways. Some people are amazing proclaimers of what God is doing. Man, look at God in my life. And some people are excellent proclaimers at what God has done, tend to be more teacher types. And so as you process right now how God has gifted you to proclaim, think about this. The purpose of redemption, proclaiming excellencies, is too often prevented by either our silence or just our self-congratulatory pride. Hey, let's talk about me again for a second. But if you've been around someone who's fulfilling that, if you've been around any Christian who is living into that purpose, that you're around someone, even if it's just briefly, and they're doing an excellent job of proclaiming the majesty of God, isn't that so refreshing? Isn't that captivating? Isn't that inspiring? This is the mission. And this is going to be the mission for the next three weeks. You now have a people 
and you belong to God, can you share that? And here's the best part, the last thought. The mission is simply for God's people to declare. It doesn't matter who's listening. Be the people of God who declare. If you magnify the greatness of God, then you are living into your calling as a Christian. If you do that around someone who doesn't already know Jesus, well, they need to hear that. But if you're doing it, if you're magnifying the greatness of God around someone who already knows Jesus, they need to hear that too. Because I need that encouragement. I need other people to do it and to see them and to be reminded of that. This is not as bland as as go evangelize. This is be a radically transformed people group who are set on declaring the excellencies of God who called each and every one of you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Which is part of why we do so many of the things we do on a Sunday morning, to, to continue to practice this, to speak it for each other. Um, so we're going to do just that. Let me turn our attention to God as we go forth Jesus, we are are grateful for what you have accomplished in our lives. We are no longer separated and scattered from you and from one another. We are one. Help us to step into that. Help us to declare with all we are, with all we have. Let us continue to worship for whoever is listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and do that right now as we continue uh, in worship through song.